It's never been done before, but the concern in the cattle industry over the integrity of our market and packer concentration brought the member leaders of six livestock groups together in one meeting. It just seems like we as an industry have a, an awful tough time getting behind the and becoming unified on some of these major issues. Three of these representatives join me for a roundtable discussion on that meeting on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you again for joining me on the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills, just a bit happier this week than I was last week. You know, we've seen about an inch of moisture here in my neck of the woods in northeast Wyoming, and we desperately needed it. And I know other folks in the country desperately need it. But when I say we had it in our neck of the woods, I I literally mean just that because I've talked with folks across the country, and it's everything from having uh, folks in the desert southwest to seeing cold, dry, windy weather to snow up in Montana and heavy rains in the southeast part of the country. So as unique as the landscape is to each in our area, so has the weather been in the last week. But speaking of weather, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us in our last segment. Some new information regarding the La Nina status for our country just coming out. We're going to talk about that as meteorologist Don Day joins us in our last segment. So I'm sure many of you have heard by now about the big meeting between all the major industry groups that took place back on the 10th of May in Phoenix, Arizona. And if you've been in the cattle business any length of time, you're aware that we do have several organizations here in the country that work to represent our cattle industry. And it's no secret that on some of these issues, boy, I tell you what, they just do not see eye to eye at all. Well, as you heard in the intro, they all met to try to find some common ground on our cattle markets. In our program today, we will have three of those that were that attended that meeting and were there to represent their respective organizations. So we'll begin that roundtable discussion here in our next segment. Also on our show today, of course, the Captain Tim O'Byrne will be dropping in with his perspective on a topic with his edition of Tim's Two Cents. But first, a thank you to our sponsors for today's program of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association with the Carcass Merit Program, Feed Conversion Data, and Calving Ease Research. You know, it's established Simmental as a beef industry leader combining growth and carcass value with some outstanding cow traits. Research that is backed by some of the most documented genetics and largest multi-breed database in the industry. Sim Genetics is profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Also, Cattlemen U, education and community for today's cattle producer. Join today, and if you use the code RANCH, you're going to get $50 off. Again, the code is RANCH for $50 off. Find out more at CattlemanU.com. The American Hereford Association, come home to Hereford. Performance Beef, easy to use, cattle management software. Find Performance Beef online and request a demo. The North American Limousine Foundation, limousine cattle delivery. Deliver to your bottom line. Take a look at NALF.org. And finally, Beefmaster. Nothing beats a Beefmaster. Find out more at Beefmasters.org. 
Well, December seems like a ways off, but it will be here before you know it. And as the national finals heads back to Las Vegas, Nevada, so does Working Ranch Magazine with a new trade show with you, the rancher, the cattle producer, cowboy, cowgirl, with you in mind. It's the Working Ranch Expo, December 8th, 9th, and 10th. I will be there. Join us as it'll be easy to find us just across from Cowboy Christmas. Also now, if you're a business and the ranching industry is your target demographic, well, right now is the time to jump in and get your booth before it's too late. You can find out more at WorkingRanchExpo.com. Well, let's take a look now to see what the Captain Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, has for us in this edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Radio Land. This comes from a reader in Nebraska into the mailbag just want you to know we love the working ranch magazine thank you for all the good information now this is titled how gullible are we a freshman at eagle rock junior high won first prize at the greater idaho falls science fair way back in april 26 1997 he was attempting to show how conditioned we have become to the alarmists practicing junk science and spreading fear of everything in our environment justin you know and folks you know exactly what we're talking about here today right with the climate change in his project he urged people to sign a petition demanding strict control or total elimination of the chemical dihydrogen monoxide since number one it can cause excessive sweating and vomiting number two it is a major component in acid rain Number three, it can cause severe burns in its gaseous state. Number four, accidental inhalation can kill you. Number five, it contributes to erosion. Number six, it decreases effectiveness of automobile brakes. And number seven, it has been found in tumors of terminal cancer patients. He asked 50 people if they supported a ban of the chemical. 43 said yes. Six were undecided. And only one of them knew that the chemical dihydrogen monoxide was water. Hence, that, that, uh, I couldn't figure out why it decreases the effectiveness of automobile brakes, but there you go. The title of his prize-winning project was How Gullible Are We? The conclusion was obvious, submitted by Brian Pivane. Just a little bit of Tim's two cents for, uh, you know, down the road. This happened in 1997, and it's happening today. Folks, stick around. Justin is going to have one slam dunk of a radio show for you. This is my two cents. Well, thanks, Captain. A good example there of know what you know, not what others tell you to know or try to lead you to believe. But speaking of knowing about things, well, I'll tell you, here's a good place to start, and that is with the latest issue of Working Ranch Magazine. The June-July issue is headed out the door, so be looking for your copy. And if you do not have a subscription, it's actually pretty easy to do. You can go to the website at workingranchmag.com. You can subscribe there or give me a call Text here at the studio. I'll help you out. 307-363-COWS or justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Well, before we head to break, here's a question for you. How do you manage data for your cattle business? Well, here's a suggestion. Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs and get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. You can update rations, generate real-time closeout reports, record health data right there at the chute, out in the pen or in the pasture, or analyze performance trends all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated in one easy-to-use 
platform accessible from anywhere like your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Well, coming up next, packer concentration and that big meeting of all the livestock organizations to address the issue. That is our subject, and I have three of the individuals that attended that meeting. They'll be joining us when we return here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Successful cattlemen have a secret. They're always open to learning new ideas, and you can do that through Cattlemen U. Cattlemen U is an online community for beef producers or beginning farmers and ranchers who want to learn about agricultural marketing strategies, successful farm and ranch practices, futures markets, and more. Access new trainings from industry experts each month and network with members across the nation. Visit CattlemanU.com to sign up today and use code RANCH for $50 off at CattlemanU.com. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And as I said at the very top of the program, our featured topic for this episode is about the recent meeting between all of the major industry groups that represent ranchers. And it was a meeting that, that quite frankly, many thought we'd probably never see in light of the fact that some of these groups, while they have mildly agree on some issues, they've also been opponents on others. But ultimately, what brought them together was the concern over the packer concentration in the beef industry and how that plays into our cattle markets. Now, I want to read from you the first two paragraphs of their joint press release. Here it is, quote, on Monday, May 10th, 2021, member leaders of the American Farm Bureau Federation, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, National Farmers Union, RCAF USA, and the United States Cattlemen's Association met in Phoenix, Arizona. These groups convened at the request of the Livestock Marketing Association to discuss challenges involved in the marketing of finished cattle with the ultimate goal of bringing about a more financial, sustainable situation for cattle feeders and cow-calf producers. Well, today it's a first for me here on the Working Ranch Radio Show as we're going to have a roundtable discussion with three of the representatives that were there on behalf of their respective organizations at this meeting in Phoenix. However, before we start and I introduce my guests, I want to share, go back and share some history. As we go back to the early 1960s and the beginning of two companies that revolutionized how beef was sold to the consumer. You see, prior to the 1960s, most beef was sold by the carcass to the butcher shops all across the country. It was the local butcher that then cut up these carcasses and sold it to the customer. But the hanging carcasses in the rail car or the reefer trailer did use up a lot of space. Well, in 1961, a new operation was formed by the name of Iowa Beef Packers, later known as IBP, and with the formation of this new company was a new packing plant in Denison, Iowa. 
also a new way of selling beef. And instead of shipping out the carcasses on the rail or the truck, this plant had an assembly line that basically disassembled the carcass. And out the back door of this new packing plant were boxes of beef already cut and ready for the most part for the consumer. Now, these rectangle boxes coming out were no coincidence either, as the need for efficiency allowed for the fact that these rectangle boxes fit much tighter in a rectangle reefer trailer than the big hanging carcasses. So that is the story of the first major packing plant located in the heart of the Midwest. Meanwhile, at about the same time, another company is expanding their huge cattle feeding business and decide to build a large packing plant near the big feedlot, also with the concept of selling boxed beef versus a hanging carcass. Now, Warren Monfort was the king of the cattle feeders in Colorado, and his son, Ken Monfort, expanded their footprint with the construction of a beef processing plant in Greeley, Colorado in 1960, to which was known as Monfort's. Now, over the years, both companies saw changes to their ownership. In the 1980s, Monfort sold to ConAgra, who later sold out to Swift & Company in 2002, and then sold to JBS SA of Brazil in 2007. Well, what about IBP? Well, in 2001, IBP merged with poultry processor Tyson Foods and became the United States' largest beef packer. But there's also a couple other names in the packing industry, one being Cargill Meat Solutions, which its lineage goes back to the Excel Packing Company in Chicago that later moved to Wichita, Kansas, and incorporated as the Kansas Beef Industries. Later, a merger with Missouri Beef created what we knew then as MBPXL. And in 1982, Cargill bought out MBPXL, renaming the packing entity back to Excel. And currently, it operates under the name of Cargill Meat Solutions. And finally, the last beef packing company, considered as one of the big four, is National Beef, who was born out of the remnants of the farmland industries in the early 1990s. In 2003, National Beef Packing Company LLC was formed after U.S. Premium Beef became the majority shareholder and it made them the fourth largest beef packer in the country. Then, in 2018, Brazilian-based Marfrig, who is the second largest beef producer in the world behind JBS, purchased a 51% stake in national beef. So all of that history to bring you to our topic today as we are seeing growing frustration in the cattle industry with the concentration of the beef packing industry and over two-thirds of the beef market is being controlled by four of the biggest meat packers, those being Tyson Foods, JBSSA, Cargill, and National Beef. So with that, it brings us to this, a unique meeting with six industry groups, those being the American Farm Bureau Federation, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, National Farmers Union, RCAF USA, the United States Cattlemen Association, and of course then the Livestock Marketing Association who requested the meeting of the previous five industry groups. So joining me today for this roundtable discussion will be three of those that were in attendance at the meeting in Phoenix back on the 10th of May. Joe Goggins out of Billings, Montana, who will be representing the Livestock Marketing Association. He's a sale barn owner, as well as a registered and commercial rancher. Mike McCormick will be joining us representing the American Farm Bureau. He is the current president of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation, runs a cow-calf 
Stalker and Hay operation near Union Church, Mississippi. And our final guest will be Justin Tupper, who's vice president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association and is owner of St. Ange Livestock, a sale barn in South Dakota. Well, first, gentlemen, thank you all for taking the time to join me here on the Working Ranch Radio Show as the news, and maybe more importantly, a positive initial outcome of this meeting in and of itself, that in itself is a big deal. And Joe, I want to start with you. And as a board member of the Livestock Marketing Association, what was your guys' initial drive to pull this meeting together? Well, I think the big thing was every time uh, we go and, and lobby in D.C. and meet with senators and meet with representatives, uh, uh, I mean, these people, uh, our legislators right now, I think are in the mood to help those of us in production agriculture. And, uh, but they always, when you walk in, uh, they, they want direction, but they'd like some unification. I mean, from, a, from this industry, instead of four or five different uh, ideas and different ideas. And it, it just seems like we as an industry have a, an awful tough time getting behind uh, and becoming unified on some of these major issues. And, and and I think uh, irregardless of what uh, we kind of thought, our our, our group uh, LMA board kind of thought, uh, uh, just talking this thing through, and we finally decided to try to invite everybody in was irregardless of what organization uh, somebody belongs to, whether it be I don't care if it's RCAF or U.S. Cattlemen or or LMA or or Farm Bureau Farmers Union or or NCBA. I mean, all of these people. Uh, that belong to these different uh, organizations. Uh, if you get on their farm or ranch and you ride around and you just uh, talk what we need in this industry, really our wants and needs, we all kind of thought are not very far apart. And uh, and, I, and I think uh, we kind of found that out at this meeting. I mean, uh, we found a, a lot more common ground than uh, we ever thought we would. Mm-hmm. Justin, I want to go to you now because I know there were some specific guidelines as far as who was there to represent each of the respective organizations. So can you explain what that looked like? Sure. You know, uh, we really appreciate the LMA for bringing these groups together. And each of the uh, farm organizations sent uh, four representatives. And one of the key factors to that was was that there could be no staff or career staff people uh, in the room. So it had to be elected officials and uh, uh, somebody within the organization that's grassroots, and I think that was a huge factor in being able to uh, find common ground and and sit down and have candid discussions. So uh, we really appreciate LMA for putting it together, and uh, appreciate the groups for uh, bringing uh, uh, their people into Phoenix. Mike, I want to go to you, and and we're going to get guys in just a little bit more in depth on some of the topics because I think we need to bring those out as well. But since the meeting, Mike, what have you heard from the membership of the American Farm Bureau about the significance of bringing these industry groups together? Well, what I hear is is that everybody um, has a problem, and they have a problem with their uh, losing uh, membership uh, with their cow-calf producers because they're they're going out of business or they're struggling and. Uh, that's our that's our core group of grassroots members, and they're 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 looking for answers on uh, what we're doing. So I'm not sure they know just yet uh, the whole details of the meeting. We've we've done some work after the press release uh, to talk to the uh, the presidents of the states of of what we accomplished, and uh, we phrased it uh, in what it was a very positive meeting and first step to uh, reach some common ground on issues that we can all agree on. 
uh, that uh, would, would help our uh, help our membership, not just Farm Bureau's, but uh, everyone's membership. So uh, right now we're getting a lot of questions about uh, the meeting uh, and uh, maybe what the next steps are. Mm-hmm. I want to go now into the specifics on the three action items that were on the joint statement between all of the organizations with the plan that you all as representatives would take them back to your respective organization for consideration. Now, a lot of what went into those three final action items looks to me like they centered around topics like packer concentration, price transparency, packer oversight, and the enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act, also level of captive supply, and then packer capacity. So to unpack each of these three action items, Justin Tupper, I want to go to you first on this. The first action item was to expedite the renewal of the USDA's livestock mandatory reporting? Um, you, you know, I think uh, the, the big factor with the li- livestock mandatory uh, price reporting is it was set up to be a tool that was supposed to work for the farmer and rancher to give him more knowledge and ability to uh, uh, work with uh, the packers or whoever and, and use that to market his livestock in a positive way. And I think some of the things we've seen is because of confidentiality and and some of the issues that uh, surround livestock mandatory price reporting, it's been a tool that's kind of used against uh, the individuals to try to uh, manipulate the market uh, in different directions. So I think uh, one of the real key that we heard from everybody in the room that a contract library was uh, very important. Uh, The pork industry already has it. Uh, We think it's crucial that uh, we know what some of these contract deals are. If some of these feedlots are getting two or three over, a contract library would allow us to see what that money is. We wouldn't know necessarily who is getting it, but if there's uh, uh, feedlots that are selling all their cattle and getting two to three or four or five dollars over the market, uh, those would be reported and we'd be able to see that. And I think that's huge uh, in in trying to sort out some of these market problems we have right now is being able to uh, actually have factual data that shows us exactly what those are. Another part of that was the base price reporting. So if a a sale was made and the the price is not necessarily set at that sale time, but you still have to report that. So we know in volume uh, how many of the the cattle that these uh, packers are starting to get gobbled up at different times of the year. So uh, I think those are some of the main keys anyway, from my point of view on livestock mandatory price reporting. The next item was to demand the Department of Justice to issue a status report on their investigation. I know the feeling I get out there is this is an issue that people have been wanting answers to and nothing has really transpired. So, Mike, I'm going to go to you and explain this second action item that refers to getting this report from the DOJ and then moving forward for the DOJ and the USDA to be conducting proper oversight packer activity. Well, there's been an ongoing um, Department of Justice investigation into some of the marketing uh, that we've seen over the last year or so, and uh, it's it's uh, there was there's been dates given that the that the report would come out, and we hadn't met those, and uh, I think uh, other industry groups, including ours, have tried to find out when when we're going to come to a resolution on that, and is there anything else that's that's planned, and uh, I think we just all think that it's time that uh, this. Uh, uh, report is given and or at least given a timeline of how much longer is it going to take to conclude the investigation i think it's very important uh, for us to get to the bottom of that and either move on or figure out uh, if there's something that uh, we need to act on uh, what we might do joe i'm going to ask you the final one in on the action items and that is the 
trying to bring bring on, encourage the investment in new local, independent, regional packers, mainly from the concept of of having good uh, competition in the market, and explain that particular action item as it moves forward as well. Yeah, and I, I think. Uh, and, and I think we're seeing a lot of uh, smaller packing houses already kind of come into the forefront or at least talks about uh, some startups and this and that. And I just, I, I think our group was just, uh, I think it was a, a consensus and that, uh, that we allow these people to, to get these things built up and maybe there's some grant money to through this government deal and, it, uh, there's been talk of lessening the regulations on some of these smaller plants uh, uh, to allow them to uh, to where they can get their feet on the ground and get going. Uh, look at maybe uh, allowing some of this uh, meat to uh, that's state inspected to cross state lines and uh, just maybe lessen the regulations a little bit on some of these smaller plants and and uh, allow them uh, to get up and get going and then and then and then. Uh, also, after they get up and get going, uh, kind of protect them from these big guys coming in and, and burying them. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, my question is going to be, how do we balance the urgency of getting resolve on these issues within effective results? We're going to talk about it after this break on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Shh, hear that? It's a quiet, easy handling Hereford cow. That's right. No broken fences, no busted gates, no injured people. Herefords lead the way in the silent traits and fertility. Studies show they increase profitability by more than $51 per cow per year. At the same time, that's real money and real results. Isn't it time for you to come home to Hereford? Learn more at Hereford.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, and joining me today are three of the individuals that were part of the big industry meeting between the American Farm Bureau Federation, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, National Farmers Union, RCAF USA, the United States Cattlemen Association, and hosted by the Livestock Marketing Association as they work to have some consensus on cattle marketing issues that have been brought on by a beef market largely controlled by four major meatpacking companies. So joining me today, as I said at the top of the last segment, is Joe Goggins representing the Livestock Marketing Association, Mike McCormick representing the American Farm Bureau Federation, and Justin Tupper representing the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And gentlemen, I know when we talk about this issue of packer concentration and, and really the whole cattle marketing aspect of our industry, which brought this meeting together, I hear people saying that we need solutions right now. But then as you all are on the, are the ones sitting in these meetings and having to walk the delicate line of negotiations, you're wanting to come up with a solution that everyone can agree on and that you can move this forward. So Mike, I want to go to you first on this question. How do you handle the dilemma of your membership's desire for urgency on this matter versus effective results that everyone can agree on? Let me just say that I think we, we talked about long-term solutions and and uh, short-term solutions. And I think the short-term solutions are the ones that we all can agree on between the industry groups that we can put forward and maybe have some action items on. And the long-term solutions that uh, maybe our policies don't completely match up, that we continue this dialogue. And Ellen May started 
uh, to try to uh, find some common ground that we can work on those as well. But as quick as we can come up with the uh, the items that we all agree on that we can all move on and support, and uh, with one unified voice, uh, I think those will uh, I think those will have some impact. And then uh, again, working towards these uh, common grounds on some that we may have some little bit of differences on uh, as a as a longer term solutions uh, is, is is important as well. Mm-hmm. Justin, would you like to add a comment to this question as well? I would. I'd just add to it. I agree with everything that Mike said. And the only thing I would add to that is I think sometimes we feel like uh, there's a silver bullet or one thing that can uh, change and fix uh, our cattle industry in in overnight. And that's just not the case. I think it's going to be we're going to have to take bites at this and we're going to have to uh, pick and choose our battles. And when we can get together with these groups and we can all agree, uh, then we can try and get a win. And then we need to build on those wins uh, as we move forward. And I think that's how we're going to bring in and incite real change within the industry is uh, uh, unifying, just like we tried to do at this meeting. Uh, and then going to what Joe said earlier, to being able to go to our legislators and say, hey, these six groups are together on this issue and now let's get something done. And uh, I, I, I think we have more momentum and more uh, direction headed that way than we've ever had since I've been around. And and uh, I look forward to uh, uh, working with all of these groups and trying to make some of that happen in the uh, coming months. Mm-hmm. Joe, what about you in the in regards to the same question I asked Mike? Just to kind of reiterate what I, I agree totally with what Mike and Justin said. And uh, I just think the one thing we all have to remember is this these are problems that didn't just happen yesterday. I mean, these are problems that have built upon us on this industry over the last 70 to 80, hundred years. And it's going to take more than a week or two to fix this thing. And, uh, but I think our only hope is that we unify, that we find common ground, that we go and, and, and fight this thing together as an industry. And, and I really believe, uh, through this meeting, uh, the first thing you got to do is build trust. And, and, and I think we've done that. I, I think we went a long ways in this first meeting to uh, uh, realize that all of us within all these different gr- uh, groups, uh, uh, we're the, in a real short sense of it, we're the same. I mean, we, we all want the same things and when we built some trust and uh, I think it gets fairly productive going forward. As you guys left the meeting, uh, and, and it might be different for each of you, so if you need to each answer, I'm good with that too. Um, what what issue, as you walked away, do you feel is really going to require more in-depth conversation to get it flushed out? Well, I'll start. I think one of the things that uh, when we talk about uh, the level of captive supply and, and packer monopoly that it, we have going on, I think that's one of the things that... It, it makes a pretty big heavy lift, but it, it is the core and the root of uh, some of the problems we have. We look at box beef today over 325, uh, and we're struggling to sell fat cattle for a dollar 19. Uh, the the piece of the pie that the producer gets has gotten smaller, 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 and the piece of the pie that the uh, uh, packers and the end users there have gotten has gotten larger all along. So I think that's one of them that's going to take uh, a, a lot more time and and. And we're going to have to really delve into uh, what the root solutions is. And and uh, I, I think we have a chance to do that. I, I also agree with Joe. I think one of the things that happened at this meeting when you're face-to-face, I heard people afterwards talking in the hallway say, you know, I'd heard of that guy before, and I didn't think he was a very nice guy, but heck, he's a great guy. 
and uh, so face-to-face meetings and 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 being able to uh, uh, sit down and have genuine conversations, not throwing barbs on Facebook and all this other stuff, to just sit down and just have a real talk about the problems we have in the cattle industry, I thought was extremely productive. So uh, on the positive side, I think we're headed the right way there. Mm-hmm. Joe or Mike, any further comments on that question of uh, the item that's going to need a little bit more flushed out going forward? I agree with Mr. Mike McCormick, and I would just say that, you know, I think everybody wants to do something and, and make an impact. Uh, but we all talked about the unintended consequences that uh, they were for every action, there's going to be a reaction and how far do you go and, and uh, what those reactions are going to be. So I think some, some people would want to uh, go all in and, and not worry about the consequences. And well, other ones, we, we need to, we need to look at it a little bit to see exactly how everything settles out once you make any decisions. So uh, I think it's just a, a matter of uh, how you look at it and, uh, I think uh, having future meetings with future dialogue uh, within the groups is, is a great place to continue that. Mm-hmm. Anytime we bring this many groups together that have traditionally had some opposing views on some items and and there has been issues between the groups, when you bring them together and you have a singular meeting and you all come out of it in agreement on some things, that is good. And, and, and you have all have acknowledged that. And I think that is a first step. But the reality is, though, too, we're still on a little bit of a fine line as we go through this process. Would you agree? And, Justin, I'll have you answer this. Yeah, I, there's no question. I mean, when you, you look at the, the groups that are in the room, there, there's no doubt. We're, our industry is not that large. We we know and uh, we, we, we know what some of the battles have been in the past. But uh, uh, I think Joe said it best earlier. If we don't uh, start fixing some of them, there won't be any battles to be had. Uh, we, we've got to band together and start doing some of this stuff for the good of the industry, uh, and putting away any of these petty side thoughts or whatever's been in the past, because, uh, we, we're not going to have an industry to go to. I know Joe hears it like I do, uh, in the auctions, we hear them every day. These small to mid-sized feeders are fed up and they have lost as much money as they possibly can. And they're not going to be back. And for our cow calf guys here in the Western States, uh, when we lose those small, medium-sized guys that are backgrounding and going to wheat, and and uh, that that's our market. That that's what uh, sets the tone for our markets in this part of the world. And so, if those guys are out, and and we end up having to rely on big corporate uh, feeders and and uh, just the big guys to try and come in and participate, that's going to be really tough on our producers. So, uh, there's no question. It's not going to be easy. We know that. I mean, when everybody that went to that meeting in Phoenix knew it wasn't going to be easy, but uh, everybody came with the uh, thought process. We do need to work in a sense of urgency that we need to get together and get something done. And I, I was very pleased with that. Let's pause here and take a break. And when we return, the question is out, what could cause this step forward to fall apart in the future? This is the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. If you could do something today that would bring you a profit tomorrow, would you do it? 
In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds, naturally, to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as Limousine Today. Profit tomorrow. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills as we have a unique format today with three guests joining me to talk about the recent meeting that was held between the major cattle industry organizations. We have Mike McCormick from Mississippi representing the American Farm Bureau Federation, Justin Tupper from South Dakota representing the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, and Joe Goggins from Montana representing the Livestock Marketing Association, who was the group that requested this meeting. Now, in addition to the three organizations represented here today. Also at that meeting held was the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, National Farmers Union, and RCAF USA. So gentlemen, the next question going to our two representatives of the livestock organizations, and I believe this may be one of the most critical questions I can ask you both so that those of us listening to your response can then stop and think about your advice. And Justin, let's start with you. What is your biggest fear that could cause the progress that you've made and the progress that could be that could make that fail? You know, I I guess, you know, in my line of work here at the sale barn and whatnot, trying to get uh, independent ranchers, they're independent producers, so they're independent minded, they have independent thinking and trying to get them all to think along the line that we are cattle producers. Uh, And no matter what organization you work for, no matter where you at in the country, that we have to be a cattle producer first and we have to do what's right for the industry first. And sometimes that takes some uh, awful tough self-sacrifice and and it's going to take some compromise and, and, and no sugarcoating. It's not going to be easy. But uh, if we don't, uh, we know what we're going to have. We're not going to have uh, uh, these this rule America like it is today. So it's definitely worth fighting for. Uh, we've got to dig our heels in and uh, and make something happen. And I, I think we're closer than we've ever been uh, with, with all the publicity we've had on not only this meeting, but what's went on. Uh, you know, you look at the uh, consumer is taking it in the shorts here uh, when, when these prices are this high. So I think there, there's a lot of momentum to get something done, and, and, and I really believe in our industry. We have some of the uh, grassroots of the country within our industry, and I think we're going to be able to do it. Mike, the same question to you now. What is your biggest fear that could cause the progress that you've made and maybe future progress to fail? My biggest concern is if we fall back to our organizations and our, our uh, policy so hard that we're looking at uh, this not as, as an uh, industry group, uh, and as our individual organizations trying to get a win for uh, a particular organization to carry back to their membership. That's important for all of us. We have to answer to our membership, but this is bigger than all of us, and uh, we, we've got to be able to come to the table and come to a consensus as a group and push this forward as, as cattle industry groups and not just for our individual organizations. So what would make these meetings a success? That is the question we're going to talk about next when we continue this roundtable discussion with our three representatives. That's coming up next here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Animal health is key to your business. So how do you track cattle health treatments? Well, stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. 
Performance Beef helps you record processing data, enter costs, and track animal health history all in real time at the shoot. The mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go. Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform, accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills. In a roundtable format today for our program to discuss the recent meeting with all of the livestock industry organizations. And we're joined by Justin Tupper with the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, Mike McCormick representing the American Farm Bureau Federation, and Joe Goggins representing the Livestock Marketing Association. And gentlemen, the final question I'm going to ask of all of you, and just the simple fact that this meeting ever took place is, is practically a miracle. The oppositions to various issues that some of the industry groups have had with each other over the years and have now, these these issues are just not going to go away with one meeting. So, Joe, I'll have you start us off. What does success look like to you? You know, I think over the next 10 years, if we can just come out of this thing and, and we, we have a, a situation and an environment that will allow these young people to uh, come in and want to be a part of production agriculture and uh, I think I think it's a win. I mean, right now, uh, uh, the ability to have a, uh, a chance at some consistent profitability in this game is is, is tough. It's just, uh, and and I think if if we're going to keep these farms and these ranches and these businesses along Main Street America uh, generational, we we have got to keep. Uh, we have got to have a chance at some consistent profitability. And and uh, I, I really don't think uh, uh, we as an industry want to break the packing industry by any stretch of the imagination. I hope they do make money. But uh, we have to have a shot at that, uh, at a little bigger piece of the pie so that, because uh, uh, right now uh, young people coming into agriculture is, uh, uh, there's not very many of them coming back. And that's a scary situation for an industry. Mike, the same question. What does success look like to you? I said this in our meeting in, in uh, Phoenix, at, uh, and it's a true story. My, my, when I was in the first grade, my um, teacher, when we learned how to write, I uh, started writing words. He uh, wrote a, a topic on the board, and it was the first sentence we ever wrote. It was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I, my, I have it framed at my house, and it says, I want to be a farmer. And I want to drive my cows from pasture to pasture. And uh, I hope we can come up with something that makes little boys write that uh, on paper uh, for their life goals. And until we restore some profitability to this sector, uh, I don't know that we have a lot of uh, optimism moving forward. That we have a lot of people that want to stay in this industry. So I think uh, I think uh, success uh, looks like one. The cattle industry can come together and speak as a united voice and and do something to help the cattle producers uh, of the United States, uh, uh, the ones that are raising them, uh, growing them, uh, feeding them, all through the all through the supply chain in a fair manner, uh, and uh, uh, get something done to uh, uh, to accomplish that, whether it's regulatory or uh, whether it's through statute or whether it's all of us sitting at the table all the way through the, the, the end product to, just, to determine how we can raise uh, our uh, 
beef here in the United States, uh, so we don't have to uh, depend on a foreign supply of uh, protein for our for the next generation. So mm -hmm. I'm optimistic that we can come together, and, and uh, I think uh, we can do that. Justin, I'll let you finish it up with that same question. What does success look like to you? You know, I think uh, success uh, for us, if we look at this uh, 10 years down the road, is bringing about uh, significant change. Uh, we've got a uh, cattle industry that's in uh, uh, dire straits, uh, definitely at the grassroots level, and I think we've got to uh, find a referee in this game. We've got to even out that piece of the pie. We've got to get it a little bigger to, to the producer and, and, and the guy that's taking all the risks, and I think uh, Joe spoke of that, and, and, and I totally believe everything about that, that we have got to get more uh, value to the producer and, and the whole uh, thought of sustainability has got to be profitability has to be first nobody can be uh, sustainable if we don't have some profitability in this game and I think uh, uh, the, the amount of money that, it, that has been made through the packing sector over the last uh, uh, two years especially but the longer than that uh, is just unbelievable uh, you look at three dollar and twenty five cent choice boxes, and we can't get a dollar nineteen for our fat cattle, and and uh, demand as good as we've ever seen it. So I think if we look at it in ten years, we've got to say that uh, we we made some real changes, uh, or or we're going to look at a cattle industry that doesn't look anything like it does today. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that we can look back on that and uh, say that maybe this was the start of uh, uh, some of that right here. Justin Tupper, Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And Justin, thank you for joining me here today. Hey, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Also, a thank you to Mike McCormick, President of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation and serving on the committee on behalf of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Mike, thank you as well for joining me on our program today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And finally, a thank you to Joe Goggins, who is representing the Livestock Marketing Association. They were the group instrumental for bringing this meeting together. And Joe, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Yeah, great to be on here, Justin. I appreciate you having us on. And uh, I want to thank all these other guys for being on as well. I, I, I really think uh, this is a big step for, for uh, the industry. I think it's uh, it was a historic meeting. I, I realize there's a lot of people that... Uh, uh, we're hoping that we'd uh, had a stronger statement, maybe got a little more done and this and that. But I think we made a huge step just getting some trust uh, established between these different organizations. And I think there's going to be some real positive things happen going ahead. All right. Well, thanks again to all of you gentlemen for being there, being a part of this process. We appreciate your time and your effort. Just a quick thought as I know that if we're going to see change, it's not going to happen as long as we're divided. You heard each of our guests today say this, and our Bible tells us that a house divided is a house that cannot stand. And I know that if we do not come together in this, there is absolutely no way that we're going to see any changes made. If you're in the cattle business, you're a member of one or more of these industry groups, support these groups to find common ground and work together. If you have to, go back and listen to this podcast again. Listen to the responses of what these gentlemen fear could cause this progress to collapse. And just know, again, as long as we're divided, we lose more footing in the future for our industry. Up next, meteorologist Don Day joins us with a new update on our La Nina weather pattern right here on the Working Ranch Radio Show on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM. 
If you could do something today that would bring you a profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds, naturally, to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as Limousine Today profit tomorrow. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills. We're joined now again by meteorologist Don Day. And Don, thanks for joining us here. As some new information coming out in regards to an update status on La Nina. So I wanted you to to fill us in on what that is and what that's going to mean going forward. Yes. uh, In the past week, the latest, uh, what is called the ENSO or the ENSO forecast, which is basically a forecast of what is the subtropical Pacific doing? Is it towards a La Nina or an El Nino or somewhere in between? And over the last year, you know, we have been under what's called a La Nina advisory, which means those sea surface temperatures near the equator have been a half degree centigrade or colder uh, than normals. Well, with the last update, the sea surface temperatures where we watched that real key area between South America and Australia, north and south of the equator. Well, sea surface temperatures, while about 0.3 degrees centigrade on average, cooler than average, it doesn't quite meet La Nina status. So the La Nina advisory has been dropped, which means we're in what's called a neutral phase to where it's not really a La Nina. It's a very weak one, but it's not an El Nino as well. Now, this is something that is actually fairly common when you start to get into the summer months to where both La Nina's and El Nino's tend to fade. They don't tend to be showing up very much. It's just a seasonal thing. But the good news is uh, sea surface temperatures are showing that trend downward some. And if that continues, uh, that's really good news because it should mean in some parts of the United States that are suffering from drought, the precipitation chances should be getting better. I know when we talked last week, and we've we've kind of been doing updates about some different regional areas that uh, what their weather is looking like. I know last week we've talked about the southeast part of the country seeing a lot of moisture, and you were saying earlier that that's continuing on up more into south central, but we still have some spots in the Corn Belt that are going to be a little dry. Yeah, what's interesting is there's been a very persistent area of rain across Texas, Oklahoma, parts of Kansas, and Nebraska. And the far western edge of that has gotten to the the front range of the Rockies and has gone as far north as the Dakotas, North Dakota, uh, which is in a really bad situation in terms of drought conditions, has been able to pick up some good rains, South Dakota as well. One area of the Corn Belt that's been dry has been northern and western Iowa, They're getting into some rains now, but it's a north-south swath of rain that's been very persistent right in the middle of the country. You get into the eastern Corn Belt, places like Indiana, Ohio, even eastern Illinois, uh, you get into that Ohio River Valley area, uh, the rainfall has been much, much lighter. Um, So it's, it's what is best described is we have islands of wetness and islands of dryness. And that is not unusual as you start to get yourself out of a drought situation. But one thing that gives us concern, Justin, is, is that yes, La Nina is weakening. It's not going to be as strong this summer uh, or even be in place like it was a year ago where that made such a big difference. 
there's parts of the desert southwest and the far western United States where the drought is the most severe, but the prospects for this weakening La Nina to get those areas wet quickly is just not in the cards. Any areas across the country that you're really watching as far as maybe unique weather that they typically wouldn't have? Well, you know, the, the, we talked in the last couple of episodes about uh, how cool of a spring it has been. And that has really kept the amount of severe weather down uh, lower than average. In fact, we were expecting a lot more severe weather. You usually have more severe weather in the spring during a La Nina. Uh, but a lot of the coolness that uh, has been found over a large part of the country in April and May has kept that at bay. So that's one thing that's been a little unusual this spring. Now, as we get warmer, um, we are definitely going to be hearing more about severe weather. And when we talk about severe weather, we're not talking about the tropical season yet. That comes later. But we're talking about thunderstorms and hail and heavy rain, flash flooding and tornado activity especially in the nation's midsection, do start to expect to see that really starting to pick up. All right, Don. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thanks for having me. A thank you to Don Day with dayweather.com. You can find his daily video podcast right there on his website at dayweather.com. A thank you to my other guests as well here today on a roundtable discussion, Mr. Justin Tupper with the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, Mr. Mike McCormick with the American Farm Bureau Federation, and Mr. Joe Goggins with the Livestock Marketing Association. Also, a thank you to the captain, Tim O'Byrne, with his two cents. Our sponsors for today's show, the American Simmental Association, Sim genetics profit through science find out more at simmental.org cattleman you education and community for today's cattle producer join today and use the code ranch for fifty dollars off find out more at cattlemanu.com the american hereford association come home to hereford performance beef easy to use cattle management software the north american limousine foundation limousine cattle deliver to your bottom line and beef master nothing beats a beef master find out more at beefmasters.org well if you'd like to get a hold of me you can do it by calling or texting the studio right here at 307-363-COWS or an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine. Join us each Saturday at 12 noon Eastern right here on Rural Radio Channel 147, Sirius XM, or on your podcast provider. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. So long.